Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives! What, what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. You might be thinking to yourself right now, hey, it's 6.30. I pop on WGR Sports Radio 550. You might be expecting to hear Shope and the Bulldog. But no. If you didn't see it, the Sabres played today. It's got everything a little, you know, changed up in the schedule. So I'm here. It's 6.30. An early nightcap. Can I even call it a nightcap? Is it the night yet? I mean, it is getting dark out. Does it have to be a night? Does it have to be dark out to be the nightcap? I think it probably would have to be, but there's days in the summer. You know, I'm on at seven o'clock where it's not. It's an evening cap. Is that is evening before night? I think it has to be. Late afternoon cap? Whatever. It's only a half hour. Jody Biasi here on WGR. I'm going to be taking you all the way up to 9 o'clock tonight. We got Monday Night Football. We'll keep an eye on for you. We've got baseball playoffs going on. Remember, I'm not a big baseball fan, so I'm not sure I could even tell you who's playing tonight. The Nationals and Dodgers, right? The AL wouldn't be playing back-to-back days, would they? I watched the Yankees game last night. I did. With Yankee fans. Made me root for the Astros. I'm not going to lie. So I'm sorry to all the Yankee fans out there, but you guys are annoying. You annoy me. There are... Select fan bases in sports that annoy me. One of them is the Yankees. Another is the Red Sox. So if that makes you feel any bit better, I'm not a re- like I'm not rooting for Boston or anything like that. So that's tomorrow. So I did have that right. Tomorrow is game two between or game three. I'm sorry between the Astros and Yankees with that series tied at one apiece. Tonight's game is Cardinals at Nationals. I'm going to be putting that on in here before Monday Night Football gets going. That'll be on the background. I'll have on in here. Um, if you're looking for that, driving around, you want to listen to that game. You can do that on ESPN 1520 in about an hour. So the Sabers played today and they just run over the Dallas Stars. I mean, four to nothing. You got to feel good about this start. You got to feel good about this start, but. Everybody's thinking the same thing, right? Everybody's feeling the same way. It is so hard to go all in on this team. One, because it's only five games, six games. And two, last year happened. Last year happening is going to make the entire Sabres fan base, including myself, a lot more hesitant than normal. Because it did happen. And that was late into the season. Like, not that late, but, you know, a couple of months into the season, your first place, you missed the playoffs. That's like a historically bad collapse that they had. 
And that's very fresh on everybody's minds. And there are a lot of players left over from that. They have changed some things out. And to me, their biggest improvement from last year to this year was the thing that I was most excited about them doing in the offseason, which was remaking the way their blue line is built. And in a way, what has happened is bringing in Yoki Haru and Colin Miller. And I think this will even be amplified even more when Brandon Montour comes back and when Pilot comes back. These good, young, puck-moving defensemen are making these other guys who are a little stale coming into the year that have been around, like Scandella and Ristolainen and Jake McCabe. They're making these guys look better. You know, other than Ristolainen playing big minutes, everybody seems to be playing the role that they should be right now. Like I said, you probably still want to get Ristolainen's minutes down a couple minutes or two, but whatever. He's got some spell on these coaches that you can't take him off the ice, apparently. But he, even he's playing better. Like He still, in my mind, is not a guy you want on the ice for 24, 25 minutes, but the way he's playing right now, he's doing a lot better in that role than he used to be with Josh George's back in the day. So their ability to move the puck up the ice, their ability to trust their defensemen behind them, to move the puck back to them when they get in trouble, the forwards I'm talking about, when they want to pinch in and be aggressive on the forecheck, their ability to play with so much speed, I feel like it all begins with their blue line and how strong it's played this season and how good it is now at moving the puck up and down. So there are reasons and there are things on the ice that are happening that are making me want to buy in. But still, it's hard to go all the way in when that collapse just happened. Another thing that you can be can think is different is obviously the head coach. The coach is going to do a lot for me in this regard. His style looks a lot different than Housley's. There's a lot more movement in the defensive zone. There's a lot more movement in the offensive zone. I thought one thing that Housley did right away when he got here that he got away from was he would allow his defensemen to be free-flowing in the offensive end. And he kind of got away from that. They were a little more stagnant as Housley's tenure went on here as Sabres head coach. Maybe Kruger will do the same thing, but to this point, those guys are flying all over the place. Ristolainen went coast-to-coast with a with a zone entry today. Like Darlene style. He took it from his own net, behind his own net, around the boards, and carry, ended up carrying it all the way in to the offensive zone in the corner where Eichel, Reinhardt, and Olsen took over and he kind of retreated back. Ristolainen did that? Like He never would do that. That's a, that's a quick chip up the boards and probably a turnover to the other opponent in the neutral zone. There are specific things happening on the ice that look a lot different that are allowing these individuals to play a lot better. Now, I could not tell you, maybe it's because I played defenseman when I played hockey, that it's easier for me to see the stuff that's going on with Ristolainen and Yoki Haru and Scandella. I could not tell you for a second why this Larson, why this log line with Larson, Giergensen, and Oposo is tearing up the place. Like every team that comes into their building right now, that line is just destroying them. They're one of the best lines in hockey right now in terms of possession. I could not even begin to explain to you why that's happening. I have no earthly idea, but it's happening. They are. That line has been tremendous. 
And that is three players that, if you went on a ranking of likability for players on their roster, three players that were at or near the bottom for fans. When you talk about staleness coming into the season, it didn't get much staler than Larson, Giergensen, and Okposo. But those three are playing tremendous. They are providing not just the possession aspect of it, which their job as a line, at the end of the day, should be to prevent the scoring line they're matched up with from scoring. That's, their, to me, their number one goal. But not only are they doing that, which they're doing it the, the right way, by the way. They're just holding the puck and holding the puck, and the usual offensive line that's matched up against them just gets tired from chasing them around the offensive end. By the time they get the puck, they're just chipping it in. They're going to the bench. So they're not doing anything. But not only is that log line doing that, but they are chipping in some secondary scoring. Larson's got a goal. Oposo's got a goal. They're providing a lot more scoring chances than they did last season. Giergensen's has been had a bunch of scoring chances. He had a breakaway a couple games ago. Larson should have had a second goal on the same shift last game. Tonight they had a couple scoring chances. Oposo looks really good right now. He's getting some power play minutes now in place of Evan Rodriguez. If they can, if Kruger is at all responsible for helping get a line like that to chip in and produce and help fix one of your other issues, which was secondary scoring, everything's going well. All of the problems the Sabres had last year, their three biggest issues in my mind last year was their blue line's ability to, to pass the puck, their forward group, their depth forward group's ability to get goal scoring, and production. And this is almost more a specific part of that point, like the depth scoring. Also, who their second-line center is. And I want to give Kruger some credit for putting Marcus Johansson in that position, putting him in that role. Because a lot of coaches would not have, do that, would not have done that. We sat in here over the summer, and the day after Johansson was traded for, I think I sat in here with Nate Geary, and we had a guest on... Uh, Steve Wino, who covers the Capitals for the AP. Spent a lot of time watching Marcus Johansson. He told us, that guy's not a center. He's played center, but his best is on the wing. And I wanted them to do this with Reinhardt, but they did do it with Johansson. Kruger, for whatever reason, decided before the season, yeah, you know what, Johansson's best might be on the wing. He might be better on the wing than at center. But you know what? I need him to play center. That's what's best for the team right now. Because who else is going to do it? Rodriguez going to go back to second line center? Because remember, he wasn't a natural center either. Are we going to put Middlestat back up in that role and just assume he's ready for it? Who are we going to put there? Are we going to put Larson up there? Like, come on. Sabatka? He put Johansson in that role. And he's done a great job at it. He's got five points in six games. He is, I'll give Saboka credit. He had a good game tonight. I still don't want him on that line. And hearing Ralph Kruger speak about him in postgame, you know, he does make some points, some good points. But at the end of the day, that line's job should be to score goals. And how often am I going to get that pass that Sabotka makes right on the tape to Skinner tonight? He had a good game. But really, Skinner continuing to score goals this year Away from Jack Eichel. Like, he has the ability to do that on his own. He did it in Carolina. He didn't never had an elite centerman in Carolina. But 
you're seeing what he's able to do with even just a good centerman. I think Johansson's a, a legitimately good center. And again, he might be better in the wing, but I think he's good at center. What is a center supposed to be able to do for me? At least in the offensive aspect of it. What are they supposed to do? Their main job should be to, to me, carry the puck through the neutral zone, create space for your wingers, be a playmaker, be a setup guy, and also finish and score goals when you have the opportunity. He's doing all that. He is in a big way. He is in a big way helping this start Jeff Skinner's had. He is, he has become that puck carrier on their second power play unit. And he's scoring goals. One-timer on a power play to win it in overtime against Montreal. A bomb from the point today. And that's not his, I, I mean, maybe, I don't want to say it's not his best quality of his game. He's got a good shot. But I think about Johansson more as a puck carrier, not a sniper. And he's finishing, though. So... I want to give Kruger credit, a lot of credit, for will, being willing to put that guy in that spot and trying something like that that might be a little unconventional. Housley, last year, let this roster, let this team rot down to the bottom. And it was the same over and over and over. It was the same players. It was the same line combinations. It was the same pairings. They didn't try anything. They never tried to put Reinhardt at center. They never tried to put Middlestead in the wing. You know, they never tried anything. They never tried to split up Reinhardt and Eichel for more than a couple games at a time. And so far, Kruger has shown the willingness to do stuff that's not popular and has this team playing a style of hockey that it's going to be tough but could get fans to forget about last season and really buy into this team for this year as a playoff team. 803-0550 is the phone number. I'll take some more calls on the Sabres uh, before I switch into football, which I do want to do at some point because I think the Bills had a really good weekend even though they did not play a game. The AFC is just kind of a joke right now, so we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I want your calls. Sabres, Stars, today, Buffalo wins 4 to nothing. 5-0-1 to start the season. How much are you buying in? How much are you hesitant to buy in? Let me know what you think. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biassi. I'm going till 9 o'clock tonight on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Jody Biassi here on WGR. 803-0550 is the phone number. How hesitant are you to buy in on the Sabres right now? Let me know what you think. I've got a couple callers that have been hanging out for a while here, so I'm going to get right to them. So, Colin, if you want to get in right after him, let's go to Tim in Minnesota. Tim, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. Hey, Joe. Uh, good, good to hear you on early. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, I was thrilled when they hired Kruger. I know they wanted him before they got Housley. Um, he's known to have a, a brilliant mind in many fields, and I think you see him bringing that to the coaching of the Sabres. Um, the biggest problem I had with the previous coaches, they were – uh, their so-called systems were putting players in roles they weren't um, suited for, and the mixing of the lines was just atrocious, and nobody knew what they were doing. You can clearly see this guy's got a plan, and even with the players that everybody was shaking their heads over that are still in the lineup, you can see that he's using them correctly in good roles, and I would say even Saboka. Even Saboka? Even Saboka. He brings <laughs> – 
checking aspect yeah. to that line that they normally wouldn't have, and he actually shares a lot of center duty with Johansson, so it really makes that work. I do think they need to fix the uh, Sherry middle stand line. Um, when, or I'm sorry, um, VC middle stand line when yep. he comes back. Um, because um, it, they're not clicking with Rodriguez, and I can clearly see why he was out to start the year. So yeah, I I, I agree with a lot of that, um, Tim. I just I, I'm not going to ever get on board with the Sabatka thing unless he actually starts consistently producing offense, not just has one nice pass. I, I know he has a role, which is to take faceoffs and to be responsible in his own end. But at the end of the day, what is the job of that line? Marcus Johansson's on it. Jeff Skinner is on it. The job of that line should be to score goals. And he does not do that on a consistent basis. So I do think you're right in that that's why he's on that line. I think he's on that line to maybe help Johansson take some of the burden off of him with his center responsibilities. But I don't know what Rodriguez has done that he's kind of in the doghouse of this coach right now. and but Because he would be the guy for that. He's played a lot of center in the NHL. He's played more center than he has wing. So he would be a guy that would be more ideal. Like, just on paper, he looks like a guy would be more ideal. He's a right shot. He's played center. He can help with that burden if you need him to. He's responsible in his own end. But the difference there is he gives you a little bit of offensive ability. And Saboka makes a nice pass tonight, but how often am I getting that? You know, he scored two goals in a game against St. Louis last year. I'm sure after postgame, or right after that game, everyone's like, oh, maybe we can get a little bit out of Sabotka. And then he just disappeared for the rest of the season. So I'm not banking on him coming out and helping out those guys to score. Coming into the season, or coming into this game, Skinner and Johansson had four points each. Sabotka had zero. They've been scoring, not... They've been scoring despite Sabotka. So if he's going to be on this team, and... They insist on having him in this lineup. I hope that tonight doesn't really get them to hunker down and keep that line going because I think there's a big missed opportunity right now with to have someone else with some more offensive flair on a second line other than a guy that has one double-digit goal season in 11 seasons. That should be a no-brainer. So I know he had a good game, but I'm just I'm not buying in on it at all. Let's go to Dan in Buffalo. Dan, what's up? You're on the nightcap. Hey, Ted, great show today. Great Sabres win today. I love it. Uh, Carter Hutton, 12 career shutout, 25 saves. If we get that goaltending every night, we're going to the playoffs, no question about it. So we'll see you there. Yeah, I believe in it. Go Sabres. And make Johnny Carson great again. All right, Dan. That's a, that's a call right there. I don't, I don't know what to do with that, but that's a call. Let's just keep going here. Let's go to Nick. Nick, what's up? You're on the nightcap. So, listen, I, I never realized how good this Johansson is. When you can add a player to, that, to this team, like this guy, this guy does everything. I mean, he's a lot better. I don't know how Washington or Boston let this guy go. I never realized how good this guy is. Another thing is, I don't know if anybody caught it. When we went to overtime against the Canadians the other night, after Johansson had just scored the winning goal, again, I can't believe who it was. Maybe it was Florida. They showed him on the bench after he put out uh, Eichel, Reinhardt, and I believe it was Darlene, and he had a little, like, Jesus Christ, you know, I just won the game and I'm not starting. It was like he gave the face, like, oh, really? I don't know if anybody caught that, but I believe that he has to start every overtime because him and Eichel worked well together, and Sam is just not a good enough skater, and it almost cost him a point the other night. 
They got away with it. Well, I will say this. Thank you for the call. I will say this. You're all forgetting, too, that they're the best shift of 3-3 three and three overtime maybe this season, um, even though they didn't score. Middlestat, Reinhardt, and Ristolainen against, I think it was against Florida, were buzzing around for like five minutes, it seemed. Like they were tiring themselves out, let alone the defensive uh, pairing out there because they were cycling so much. So I have no problem with Reinhardt playing a three-on-three overtime. I'll tell you why you don't want to put Johansson and Eichel on the same unit. You want to split them up. They're maybe your two best puck carriers at forward. You don't want to put them together. You want to put a shooter with Eichel. And when he comes off the ice, you want another guy that can carry the puck. And sure, Middlestad I think is better in 3-on-3 overtime than he is in a 5-on-5 situation. But I don't trust him right now more than than you would trust Mojo. And I agree. He's a really good player. I was thrilled they signed him. He was one of the guys I really wanted them to sign going into the offseason. I'm really thrilled that they got him. There is a reason he was available. But it's not really his play. I think if he stays healthy, he's going to do this all season. He's going to be a 40, 50-point guy for you. Maybe even 60, but his career high is 58. I wouldn't bank on him getting 60. He's had concussion issues. He has. So... You know, the Sabres did a good job. They did their due diligence with him. They took the risk, but there is risk. He's had concussions. He only played 58 games last year. He played 29 the season before that. He's missed a lot of hockey. But I'll say this, while he's healthy, and for now he is, there's no reason to think he's not, he's a really good hockey player, and I'm really happy the Sabres signed him. Keith is next. Keith, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, Joe. Love the show. Thanks, man. Hey, I just wanted to say that right now I am buying what the Sabres are doing. Um, I do agree with Sabotka. Um, I, I really had, when they made that trade with him and that, what was it, Berglund, I thought those two could have been a nice piece, but obviously Berglund and, you know, goes with other players. Oh, we don't want to go to Buffalo, but guess what? We don't need you. Um, but, you know, what Ralph Kruger is doing with this team and flipping their uh, egos or their whatever they had in that locker room upside down and cleaning slates, you know, I love it. I love what they're doing. Just hopefully they can keep this going. And the goaltending, you know, we know, we've seen what they've done. Um, we just need to, you know, the guys in front of them have to play the way they're supposed to play. And if they're playing free uh, hockey, you know, free roam, then, hey, let them play it. And, you know, when you got to buckle down in the after the All-Star break, you know, that's the time to buckle down, you know. Um, it just yeah. it was good to be in Buffalo with you know, both the Bills, the Sabres, you know, and lacrosse, you know. Finally, all three teams, you know, doing their, what they have to do to, you know, make everybody happy, you know. And, uh, you know, I'll hang up and uh, – Yeah, yeah, Keith, thanks, thanks for the call, man. I, I I echo that. I mean, it's it's fun time right now. It really is. I have not experienced both teams being good at the same time in my entire life. It just hasn't happened. So this is kind of new. Not even just my two, the two, my two favorite teams here, obviously, with the Bills and Sabers. But I'm a big soccer fan. Liverpool is like the best team in the world right now. I'm a big NBA fan. My team for that is Denver. Although I'm not like a diehard fan, but I'm like Denver. They're really good. So it's weird when all of my teams are playing really well. But you know narrowing it down to the Bills and Sabres right now, it's hard to feel anything negative about either one of them. Like, what would you point to? The Sabres, you can still be hesitant because of last season, but 
Like the Bills, man, we'll talk about them in a little bit. There is no way that team doesn't win 10 games, right? How do they not get there with that schedule? And the Sabres right now, if they keep playing like this, this is not last year. Last year in the 10-game win streak, a lot of shootout wins, a lot of overtime wins, a lot of one-goal victories. That's why I was starting to get worried. The past three games before today, the Sabres were getting back into that. Close games, one-goal games, shootout victories, overtime victories. That's when you can start to think it might be a little fluky. But three, four times now this season, three times at least in six games, they've run over the opponent. 803 is the phone number. We'll take more of your calls after this on WGR. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros, regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party, and moon people, and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or, I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short... I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right. This is not really hour two, but it kind of is. I guess it is. Hour one and a half. Not even it's half hour. Half hour in here. I got a couple hours left. Monday Night Football tonight. Lions and Packers. We'll keep an eye on that for you here. We'll also keep an eye on the Cardinals and Nationals and the NLCS. I'm getting into the baseball playoffs a little bit, more so probably than ever before for myself. You know, trying to expand your brain, reading all these books, sports-wise. I mean, I know, I know everything there is to know about hockey. I think I, there, I know everything there is to know about hockey, at least, you know, within a realistic perspective. I'm not going to watch Fill in every single player in the league. I, I could learn more. I mean, but baseball, just never been a big fan of it. And, you know, you can feel left out sometimes. So I'm trying to get a little bit more into it. Fantasy's helping that along. Um, games that matter is helping that along. Because you don't get that very often in baseball. And right now, pretty cool. The Yankees and Astros last night was a really good game. Um, the Nationals are a cool story because of Bryce Harper leaving. So that game's going to go in in about a half hour, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and the Monday night game's a good game tonight. Like, you know, Monday night football got a lot of crap for their, their schedule this year, but a couple game, nice games in a row here. Tonight you get Packers and Lions. The Lions are good. I think the Lions are good. They have two losses, a tie. The tie wasn't great, but... One of the losses shouldn't even been a loss. I mean, they outplayed Kansas City. And maybe that's a story. What is Kansas City right now? They've lost two games in a row, both at home, and they narrowly escaped Detroit. Like, they should not have won that game. They got lucky. Detroit drives down inside the five-yard line twice, doesn't score, and fumbles a ball that the Chiefs turn take the other, the other way for six. 
And they won by like four. So easily. They could have lost by two scores in that game. So the Chiefs might not be perfect right now. New England has not played anybody, but they're New England. So there's reason to believe, obviously, that they're great. And then here's the Bills, 4-1. and one. Like, What are we supposed to do with them right now? It's hard to not talk playoffs. How do they miss? We'll talk a lot more Bills in a little bit. But I do want to uh, cap on our, our conversation on the Sabres and hesitation to go all in on them being good, especially six games in. It's not, it's not a big sample size at all. But it's hard to see them. It was hard to imagine them playing better in the first six games. Not Notice, I didn't say it was hard to imagine it going better. I could have imagined them going 5-0-1. It was hard for it would be hard for me to imagine them playing this good though doing it. They have beat teams out of buildings. They ran over Pittsburgh. They made they made New Jersey look like an AHL team. And they just destroyed Dallas. Pretty even through the first two periods I thought. Third period destruction. Just all over them. And I think this team right now is at least showing the ability, showing the capability to play like that. And that's all I need. The one thing the Sabres do not have going for them that, you know, is going well for the Bills right now. The Sabres have really tough competition to make the playoffs. Now, going into the year for the Bills, I thought the AFC was going to be tough. There was a reason I think that was going to happen. But it hasn't. I I truly cannot see the Sabre situation going the same. There, I just can't see it. Florida's not playing great right now. That could happen. Them not living up to expectations. But Toronto, Tampa, Boston, that's three playoff teams. Those three teams are not missing. It's not happening. And you only have five spots available to you in the first place. So lock those three out. Not happening. Suddenly, I'm competing with the rest of the conference for two spots. That's tough. They could play like this the rest of the season and maybe miss. Because Florida's there, because the Islanders might still be good. Philly looks good. They've only played three games. They got five points. Montreal looks all right. Hell, Detroit looks okay so far. I don't think that's going to hold up, but they look good. There are a lot of teams to compete with. That's not what's going on with the football team. We'll talk about them a lot in a little bit, but it's not happening with them. Can the Sabres beat out of Montreal? Can they beat out of Florida? Can they beat the Islanders? Can they beat Philly? Because I would say this right now, I think they're in that that range. I think they're in that tier. I'm not giving them the Boston, Toronto, Tampa tier. It's not happening. They're, They're super good. They're maybe the three best teams in the league. Although Tampa's not playing it right now, like that right now, but they'll get it together, I'm sure. What are the Sabres? And I think that they are likely what I thought they were going to be last year. Then I raised expectations. They fell short not only of what we all wanted when they were on a 10-game win streak, they fell short of where I thought they'd be at the beginning of last season. But I'm back there. I'm back to where I was at the beginning of last season. I think this team is good enough to where they will be right on the outskirts of the playoffs. 
It's very easy to be optimistic through six games. I would not bet on them to make the playoffs right now. I wouldn't. But I would predict them to be really darn close. Like, points. One, two, three, right there. And that's within the margin of error to maybe get a little lucky and you're a playoff team. I think they're right around there. That's all you want. That's all I want. Would you take, right now, missing the playoffs by two points? Maybe most fans wouldn't. I would. I don't need the playoffs this season. Man, do I want it, but I don't need it. What I need out of this Sabres team for once in 10 years is to just be in it. For God's sakes, just be in it, please. They can't even do that in the last nine years. They have a they have a drought going here. You know, at least the Bills were in the in the hunt graphic. The Sabres have not even been in the hunt graphic. I'm not sure NBC has one, but the Sabres aren't in it. That's what's funny about this. The Bills were always in the hunt, even if only kind of because the graphic was big enough. The Sabres are never even in it. That's all I want. And if this team plays like this, they're definitely going to be in it, at least. And that's why I'm optimistic right now. Because they're meeting a certain bar. They're meeting a threshold to where I think fans will be okay with with the end of the season. To where people aren't going to be calling for Bottrell to be fired. To where people aren't going to be calling for big trades. Like, get rid of Sam Reinhardt. I don't know who's next on the player front. They're doing well. They're doing really well. 803 is the phone number. If you call right now, we'll get you on in the next five minutes. And um, we're going to get to Sabres head coach Ralph Kruger with the morning show today. Actually, before the game, it was a really good visit. I thought the guys will play that back. It was our interview of the day in a little bit. Take an early time out here. Give me a call. We'll get you on right after the break here on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. We're going into full swing football mode in a second here on the show. Before we do that, though, just to cap off everybody's exciting day with the Sabres and a good day for the team here on the station, we had the game. And earlier than that, Ralph Kruger on with the morning show. Kruger, a great listen. I think he's one of the best interviews in Buffalo sports right now. Here is the Sabres head coach with Howard and Jeremy this morning. On our West Her Hotline, Ralph, it's Howard and Jeremy. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Yes, good morning. Happy Columbus Day to Buffalo and to your listeners. Thank you, sir. You too as well. <laughs> so listen, I, I saw you you, uh, you guys had a day off on Saturday. I saw a little clip yesterday. Apparently you said you, you spent the day shopping and going to a movie. Uh, what movie did we see on Saturday on our day off? I went to see Judy with uh, Reese Witherspoon, quite amazing, the the acting performance and also the storyline on the, the, you know, really the tragedy around Judy Garland's life. My okay. wife and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I have to go. I will. I, I will note that one down. It sounds interesting, actually. And I've I've always liked Reese Witherspoon, so I appreciate the that tip. That should on be that. an Academy Award. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Did you get popcorn? <laughs> well, you know what? We didn't originally, and then uh, sitting watching the, the the pre-show, my wife goes, ah, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, we had some popcorn, yeah. The reason I ask is my <laughs> wife and I did something we'd never done before. We live kind of close to a movie theater. We called and asked if you can just go get popcorn and go home, and the answer is yes. So we just went and got movie theater popcorn really? and then went home and watched a movie. <laughs> Could you just pop it at home? But it's movie theater popcorn. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so you can do that in some places. Okay. I'm, I'm sure people have done it before. Popcorn to Public good, service announcement. Good, good to know. Good to know. So you, your your hockey team has at least a point in each of its first five games in general at this point. How do you think they're playing right now? Well, the character has been outstanding. We've, uh, you know, it was a big ask what we went through in training camp on the on the tactical side and the, the you know the principles and values that we're driving for as a team are are definitely based on you needing to work hard and to work for your teammates and we're seeing a lot of that so we're pleased but we're keeping the picture small we we had a goal this year to try and improve every single day and uh and take it one day at a time and that, this is what we continue to do but it's um, you know from a coaching perspective we're extremely pleased with the you know, with the way the group is is attempting to perform, and we still have a lot lot of growth in us, which is also very exciting. When it when it comes to learning every day, Ralph, I mean, you probably have a list of things you'd like the team to get better at, a number of different things. How do you go about? Do you have a point of emphasis or two this week at at one practice, and then a different one another? How do you go about? Uh, I guess going down a checklist of multitude items to get better at, and not throw too much at them at one time. Well, usually more on the non-game days. So yesterday would have been a day of, of, of learning and teaching. Maybe probably we, we had the last one before that was about six days before where we really looked deep at, at some things that we're doing. And uh, game days, we like to leave the, leave the minds free, concentrate on what we need to do, introduce the opposition in, in different aspects. But it's more, more on the non-game days. And uh, as an example, on a trip like this to California where we're we're going to be packing bags and moving around in three games in four days. We'll, we'll keep it simple and trust trust their instincts as they grow and develop. And it's very important to manage the energy in the National Hockey League season with the pace that we're on. And uh, we're, we're trying to do our best at that as coaches. Last couple games, your team has, has not been able to hold on to two goal leads in the third period. Do you feel that the, the team was sitting back too much? Do you think that there's a certain... Um, I don't know how to say lack of killer instinct, but do you think that they needed to attack more with the lead in the third period? No, not at all. We're definitely continuing to plan our toes. There's no mandate to sit back ever. And uh, in this league, there's no lead that's safe. The, the strength of the opposition's forwards and uh, the way the D are involved, and the, you're seeing this on a nightly basis in the NHL, which makes it quite exciting. Now, we definitely aren't happy with giving up two goal leads and we're going to get better at that and learn how to manage it uh, in a, in a more responsible way. Uh, You know, of course we were pleased the team dug out the two points in the end, but not pleased with giving up leads. Uh, But, but the mandate to stay on our toes and to play forward and to attack, it's definitely there. And the players did try to do that. We had chances in both those games to extend the lead where we where we missed. Uh, we came up against some very good goaltending, as others are doing with us. But it's the nature of the beast right now. Everybody's, uh, you know, really, really playing a very attractive style. It's a, it's an open, open league. Lots of goals being scored. I think it's what the fans want. And if we can end up on the on the two-point side of that more often, as we have, we're, we're, we have to remain humble and happy. It seems you're kind of... Uh leaning toward experience and older players later in games in those two spots, whether it's uh, uh, Victor Olofsson off of a line late in the third periods or Rasmus Dahlin on Friday was a, was a big story after the game. A lot of people asking, wondering about Dahlin being kind of on the bench for eight minutes plus in that third period. 
Oh, there's absolutely nothing against those players in those situations. It's a compliment to other players we have and to the depth of the team. We've got different roles within our lineup, you know, players that are, are going to carry the penalty kill, are going are gonna to work at closing games out for us, and if we need goals, others will carry the ball. And that's what a team is made of, is, is different strengths and different roles and different characters. And, uh, you know, the focus on on what isn't uh, often leaves out the co- the conversation of what is. And what is is we have a very strong, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of depth in our lineup and we have a lot of players that are specialized in, in different skill sets. You know, as much as goal scoring is a skill set, uh, killing penalties, blocking shots, finishing hits, those are important skill sets in a in a good team. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's also – an education of our of our fan base and uh, of the public to, to understand that that uh, that will change the ice time depending on the score and you know Rasmus is learning and growing every day he's a very coachable player we love what he's doing on and off the ice and uh, there's nothing but excitement about his future here. Ralph, I'd be interested to hear your, your feeling on you know as you mentioned shot blocking. Shot blocking is one thing that I think in the last however many years in the NHL people have kind of given a thumbs up and also a thumbs down. If you're blocking shots, it's good to block a shot, but if you're blocking a lot of shots, it means you're on the ice when the other team has the puck and is shooting it. So with regard to, to that, like the, the give and take of what that actually means, um, the ability to block a shot is important, but late in a game, would you not want your defense to not be blocking so many because you'd be carrying play in the other end? Well, there's, there's no question that it's- um, once the goalie's out of the other team, you're killing a penalty because you're playing five on six, as an example. And there, there, it's really important to be able to understand the patience that's needed. And uh, for instance, in the last game, we just tried too hard. The guys battled like crazy, and it was a little bit chaotic. And there was a couple of broken plays and broken sticks and so on. But uh, you need to stay in the lanes whenever you're killing penalties or you're shorthanded. It's really important to have that courage. And, um, you know, especially up high, get, getting into the lanes, uh, you know, everything coming from up high. Nowadays, it has a danger to it. It creates second chances in front of the net. It creates chaos that we're trying to avoid in our end. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think all, all, of, all through the league, that, that's definitely a, a skill set uh, where we, we, we do attack more in our end than, than some teams will sag right down back and rely completely on the shot blocking whereas we we do uh, expand and attack when we can but it's uh you know it's it depends on the situation really sure yeah i've noticed much of the attacking on the kill this year as as, pre- as compared to previous years for the sabers with regard to rasmus dalin you know last year his rookie year he impresses a lot of people this year year two i think maybe myself included we kind of expect him to just take off when it comes to player development with him, um, are, are you very much keenly aware of the idea that he is so young that you're still building a lot of what it is that he's going to become? Well, if you look at Rasmus Dahlin at 19 and uh, Henry Yokiharu at 20 and uh, the the potential within both of those is, is so exciting. And with, with Rasmus, it's, uh, it's, you know, players of that skill set are – playing with the puck all the time when they're young because they don't give it, you know, they're so strong and so powerful and uh, it, it's learning the complete game is, is what what's happened to every great defenseman in the national hockey league. And uh, as they mature and, and again, I, I can only say that uh, 
you know, we we are we are so thrilled with the foundation of of, of what he is and who he is as a person, and uh, and and it takes time. It's easier to come into the league as a high end. Uh, offensively skilled forward because the responsibility without the puck isn't isn't as large as it is when you when you play defense and especially in a league that plays with six defensemen all the time you you know very rarely the teams Tampa plays with seven once in a while play with seven and and so you, defensemen need to be all encompassing they need to play with the puck without the puck and uh, and and it's again something that we just need to be patient before uh, a player with that skill set is complete. It, take, it just takes time. And, I, again, everything is on the right track, for sure. What With, with Rasmus, and I guess with Yokohara as well, uh, Ralph, when you have that type of young player with those offensive skills, what do you tell, what's the message you give them? How's that, how do you balance the line between, I want you to be creative, I want you to be aggressive, but you don't necessarily want to go one-on-three into the neutral zone, turn the puck over, you want to be smart too. How do you get that message across to those young guys? You don't want to stifle their creativity, but, you know, they got to be smart too. Well, those are, those are just team rules. That, that, that doesn't apply to one player. That, that applies to our most experienced player or our youngest player. And we, we just have a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, team concepts and principles that we're trying to turn into habits, and it's going to take time. We're working hard at it, and the players – uh, you know, are, are really, really uh, all in here, and we're having, you know, we're having pleasure working with with the group. But whether it's Rasmus or or, or whether it's it's Sabatka, it doesn't matter. Everybody everybody's trying to get in line with what what gives us a chance to be the best team we can be on a daily basis, and what gives us a chance to win every night. And and being responsible with the puck is is definitely one of the you know the puck management is one of the most important things in a league where every team has so many lethal players. You need to, to understand where the risks are worth taking and where, where not. One last thing I want to ask you, Ralph, about Casey Middlestat. Got a nice shootout goal the other day. Um, what, what are you seeing from him so far? Again, I know it's really early, but you know, you've talked about the stress on centers in your, your system with your principles. He's you know, still going through that, that growth process in the NHL. What's your evaluation that you're seeing so far from Casey? Well, Casey is is also a player who's you know evolving his game, and we have a fundamental skill set in him that's that's unique and it's really exciting. He's he's got so much potential, and again, uh, an excellent character, a very hardworking, and uh, just developing every day. Every day, there's something new and something good going on with Casey Middlestadt, and uh, we. You know the the coaches are all you know doing their bit to help him to develop and to help him to grow and he's he's uh, somebody we, we can be really excited about you know the way he he hadn't played for a while in the last game and stepped into the overtime and created more chances actually mm-hmm. than anybody else and then quite coolly sunk the third penalty shot goal for the win is just a sign of the of the of the top end of Casey and just like. A player that, that we've just spoken about, like Rasmus, there's there's a game away from the puck. There's a pressure coming from the top lines of the other team that pushes you back into your own end that you have to learn to deal with and have to learn to manage. And it's uh, it's that side of the puck that that's why we have coaches, uh, that why we have jobs. I guess the uh, you know the skill and the offense uh, you, is more difficult to teach than the, the the game away from the puck. So we're we're so pleased that he has that foundation. And, 
what an exciting future he had. Well, thanks again for the time, Ralph. Appreciate you coming on a little bit earlier this week with the trip coming up. Uh, good, good luck against the Dar- uh, Dallas Stars. Good luck out west, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, and I, I wish everybody a wonderful Columbus Day. There's Sabres head coach Ralph Kruger. We'll take a timeout now, and we'll get full blast into football after this. The AFC picture after week six. It, even though the Bills didn't play, looks pretty juicy. Looks even better maybe than it did a couple of days ago. 803 is the phone number. We're we'll talking Bills after this here on WGR. I was shocked. I didn't, I didn't know it was coming. I didn't know it was happening. Um... You know, I didn't, I didn't ask to be out of Buffalo, but it's something that transpired. Um, you know, it's the nature of the business. Uh, I wish those guys the best, but um, I'm happy to be in this locker room and, uh, and be wanted by this organization. That is Bill's wide receiver, Zay Jones, today meeting with the media in Oakland. Man, he says there he's shocked he was traded from Buffalo. Dude, have some self-awareness. How could you possibly have been shocked? You were bad for three years. First off, you should never really be shocked if you're traded at all in the NFL. Don't they always say, oh, it's a business? So, of all people to be shocked that you were traded, you lost your job to a practice squad guy. You lost your job to, the C- to a CFL receiver. And I don't want to, I'm, I'm saying that to make it sound, you know, I'm exaggerating. Duke Williams is actually really good. He's not just a CFL receiver. He's not just a practice squad guy. But you lost your job. What did you think was going to happen? You thought you were just going to sit on the bench? Just be inactive all the time? Maybe he's just saying it to say it. I don't know. But, hey, man, I'm not... I'm not uh, I, I actually picked up Zay Jones in a fantasy league, a really deep one. Like, he, he, he'll have a chance. He'll have a chance for a bounce back in Oakland where it seems all failed Bills go for a second opportunity. Is, is Oakland like the Florida for former Bills players? Like, you know, retirees move down to Florida. Do Do, do Bills go to Oakland? Or I guess, well, it's going to be Vegas soon. So maybe that'll stop. I don't know. He'll have a chance. He's going to start for him. But that had to happen. I can't believe he's shocked. I kind of don't believe it, to be fair. Um, and they're interesting. They're they're what? They're 3-2. and two. They're one of these teams that's one game behind the Bills. There's only a couple, actually. It's only them and Indy. Um, what, what, what's, what's going to happen there? Are, is Oakland actually not terrible? Because I was not thinking about them at all coming into the season. Denver, I wasn't thinking about. Oakland, I wasn't thinking about. Miami. And two of those have come to fruition. Denver's won two in a row, but I'm not believing in that in a second. They beat Tennessee, and they beat the Chargers, so we'll talk about in a second. And then Oakland, man, like, I, I just can't, I can't trust that. How am I supposed to trust that? They don't have a great defense. They don't really have much of a running game. Actually, right now they do have a good running game. I'm remembering back to the beginning of the season when they had their troubles with the offensive line and people were expecting them to not have much of a run game. But they've been okay. They've been good. And Derek Carr is just all right. Kind of a game manager at this point. What do they have at receiver? Zay Jones is about to start for them. (laughs) It's not great. So... I guess some you might believe in Oakland, some might. I don't. I don't think they're much of a threat. You look around the AFC, and I think this week went really well for the Bills. And mostly because of the Chargers. When I, last week, was looking at the standings, 
and looking at the teams that could catch Buffalo for a wild card spot, who was even threatening the Bills for a wild card spot? Who was it? Oakland's in a spot right now. I don't consider them much of a threat. Maybe I'm wrong to do that. I don't consider Oakland much of a threat. Indianapolis slash Houston, whoever comes in second in the AFC South, agreed. Definitely a threat. I think Indy is legit, and Houston just beat Kansas City in Kansas City. It's a great win for them. Watson might be the front runner for MVP right now. Those two teams are legit. But you're ahead of Indy. So that's a threat. Who else? Jacksonville. No, not really. And they lost this week, 2-4. and four. Tennessee, we saw them against the Bills. Am I supposed to be threatened by that? Can't throw the football at all. Mariota's benched. There it is, 2-4, and four, lost to Denver. Mariota's benched. Not worried about Tennessee. Not worried about Miami, obviously. The Jets are too far back. Who am I supposed to be threatened by? I was still thinking about the Chargers. Still thinking about the Chargers. Then they go in at home on Sunday night football and lose to a training camp arm. They lost to a rookie out of Samford in the FCS, undrafted. Guy was originally on the Steelers as like a training camp arm. You know those guys that are with the Bills in training camp that you've never heard of? That guy. He started against Phillip Rivers on primetime television and won. The Chargers have lost back-to-back really bad games. They have two tough losses. You lose to Denver and Devlin Hodges in back-to-back games, and suddenly I'm not thinking about you as a threat much at all. They are now two and a half games back of the Bills. They can't beat Denver. They can't beat Pittsburgh with Devlin Hodges. Am I supposed to be worried about the Chargers now? And, you know, I was wrong about them. Right at the front of the line. No one was more wrong about the Chargers than I was. I thought they were a Super Bowl contender. I thought that they could win that division. And I sat in here talking about conversations about the Bills, thinking about New England, because to me there was only one wildcard spot available. I only thought there was one wildcard spot available because I thought the Chargers had one locked in, locked up, written in ink. And they're not even close to that right now. They're bad. They've been bad. They can't block for Phillip Rivers. Rivers can't push, push the ball downfield. They're very one-dimensional in their offense. It's just all short passing. They don't want to use Austin Eckler with Melvin Gordon back. Well, they're using him in the pass game. They don't want to use him like they were before Melvin Gordon got back. And he's better. Eckler is a better running back than Melvin Gordon. If you, if you don't see that, I, I, there's no helping you. You're, you're looking too hard at draft status and contract and, and stardom. On the field, Austin Eckler is a better running back. But it's like a 50-50 split right now, maybe. The defense isn't playing that great. So am I worried about them? them? Their losing last night is huge for the Bills. That, to me, is one big threat that was behind you that I'm just not even worried about anymore. Until they beat somebody and start to look good again, the Chargers are doing nothing to make me think they can catch the Bills. So if the Chargers can't catch the Bills... And if Oakland's a pretender, which I think they are, who's the threat? Who is it? Because two AFC South teams can make it, and I think you're okay. Cleveland, I didn't mention Cleveland. They lost to Seattle. They're two and a half games back. Who am I supposed to be worried about? 
There's not a team out there. There isn't. Any team that I could even start making an argument for, the Bills are so far ahead of them, and with the schedule they got, how are you going to make up ground on the Bills? This team's going to make the playoffs. They are. If they don't, something went horribly wrong. Allen, I don't even knock on wood, Allen can get hurt, and I still don't think they could miss. It's just the scenario that would have to happen. They'd have to lose to Miami once, maybe. They'd have to lose to Case Keenum and the Redskins. Or Flacco and Denver at home. Who are they going to lose to? Who's going to move the football on them in the first place? This offense, I think we had a conversation plenty of times coming into the year. How good did the offense need to be for them to be a playoff team if the defense is elite? Well, here's the defense being elite. The offense is moving the ball well above average, and they're scoring about average. And that has them at 4-1. and one. And they might have the, they have the easiest part of their schedule coming up. Honestly, they could have a bad offense the rest of the way, and I think they make it. It's just so hard for me to foresee a scenario where they don't make it. Because it's not just in the Bills' hands. You've got to have a team that makes a run. And who in the AFC right now looks capable of making a run? I, I, will, hold, I will leave a little bit of chance for Cleveland to do it. I still will. I think Freddie Kitchens and that Browns coaching staff just does not know what they're doing. They have a rhythm quarterback. that They're playing Baker Mayfield like he's Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. It's all down the field. And Mayfield has an arm, don't get me wrong there. But it's down the field routes that take a long time to develop. And they don't have the offensive line to protect him for very long. Essentially, their offense is built on Baker Mayfield extending plays. He's not a statue, but that's not what he does best. I don't know why they would design an offense like that for him. Allen could do an offense like that. He can extend plays and push the ball down the field. Lamar Jackson can do an offense like that. He's super mobile. He can extend plays like that. Mayfield can't extend plays, but that's not his forte. Kitchens is getting outcoached. He ran it on a 4th and 9 a couple weeks ago. We all forget about that. So, maybe they get it together. But the way they're playing right now, they a good. I thought they played well yesterday. They lose to Seattle at home. It was a close game. Seattle's a really good team. But they're way too inconsistent right now. And they are not playing up to their talent. Cleveland is more talented than the Bills. I really believe that. And that maybe is how I'm starting to really think very highly of this coaching staff in Buffalo. I mean, I already was, but even more so. Because you can compare the way the Bills are operating right now, both on defense, systematically, strategically, and look at how they're operating their offense and how perfect a system it is for Josh Allen right now and how they're getting the most out of him. And you can compare that to what Freddie Kitchens is doing in Cleveland. And it's night and day. Mayfield is getting no help at all. The, the Browns are let the Browns coaching staff is letting Baker Mayfield down. And management too. Because one of two things was going to have to happen. If you wanted to have that offense, you need to have an offensive line. And they can't block right now. So you needed one of two things. You either need 
a quick rhythm-based offense for that quarterback, or if you want to have that type of offense where you're taking forever for routes to develop, then you got to be able to hold the fort down. You need to be able to protect Baker Mayfield for more than two seconds at a time, and they're not doing it. What happens when the Bills are going to play him? Are they going to score? Because Mayfield, to be honest, he's one of the three best quarterbacks I think they play left on the schedule. They don't play a lot of good quarterbacks. They play Wentz, they play Brady, they play Lamar Jackson, they play Dak, and they play Mayfield. Mayfield's up there in terms of the quarterbacks they play. And I don't know, man. Like The Bills are going to go into Cleveland, and I would pick them to win that game right now. And I would predict that they hold... How, how, how is Cleveland going to move the ball on them the way they're playing right now? I just can't see it. So, all that being said, I do want to give them some respect because of how talented the roster is outside that offensive line. It's super talented. One of the better receiving cores in the league. Nick Chubb's looking like one of the best running backs in the league. Mayfield, I think when he is not getting killed in the pocket, is one of the better young quarterbacks in the league. The defense is talented. They should be good. But they're they're not right now. The way they're playing, they're not a good team. So, that's the thing. If Cleveland's not good, what's the team in the AFC that can that's not in the playoffs right now that could jump up and take out the Bills? I don't see that team. I really don't. Even a Baltimore who is probably going to win the North, so you don't have to worry about them in terms of this. I mean, they lost to Cleveland big. They haven't beaten anybody. The Bills don't have the strongest wins in the world, but (laughs) Baltimore's are worse. You beat Miami. You beat Arizona at home. You beat Devlin Hodges, and it took overtime in Pittsburgh. And who'd they just beat yesterday? Who did Baltimore beat yesterday? Cannot think of it. The Baltimore Ravens yesterday played. I'm not going to be able to go to break until I think of this because it's going to it's going to eat me alive. The Bengals, who have not won a football game, so not the strongest wins in the world, and that was at home. Eight hundred three hundred five fifty is the phone number. Who is the biggest threat to the Bills in the AFC, if there even is one? Maybe that's a terrible way to get calls because who has an answer? Eight hundred three hundred five fifty is the phone number. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. It's the Nightcap. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. You know, every every now and again, I forget that we have that open. It is just chaos. It's just Don Cherry rapping. If you're if you're new to the show here, why was Don Cherry rapping? I don't. know, It's crazy. There's gold like that out on the internet. 
It's a, it's a wonderful, magical land, the internet, at times. Other times, it's truly awful, but, you know, take it or leave it, whatever you want. <coughs> Excuse me, 803-0550 is the phone number. We're going to get to our interview of the day on the bill side in just a second. Um, Cannon on, or not Cannon, Nick on Twitter says, Indy is the only team I would worry about since the South is a joke other than them in Houston. I agree with you, Nick, but here's the thing. Two wildcard teams. I, I'm handing one of them a, te- a spot already. One of them's going to win the division. Let's say it's Houston right now. Indy gets a wildcard spot. Again, lock them in. Who's taking the Bills spot? Team's not out there right now. Unless Cleveland gets their stuff together, unless the Chargers get their stuff together, they're the only two teams that to me are even capable of putting a run together like that. But with the Bills' schedule, which will make it really hard for one of those teams to make up ground on them, and the fact that the Bills have a, is it two and a half game lead? It's either two or two and a half. Um, Because they've had a bye week and I think the other teams haven't. Um, I just, I don't see it. I really don't see it. 803 is the phone number. I want to do another thing fantasy football-wise. I've got a couple people that already asked me this. I'm not typically able to do this because of the Monday night game, but if you got a fantasy matchup tonight, like I've got on Johnson going. I need 10.5 points, PPR. I would say my odds at winning are like 75%. Throw me your matchup. I'll give you like a percentage. I'll let you know what your odds are. Of winning, because a couple people have already done that. Um, in fact, one person that asked me what my opinion was of the uh, their matchup. Chances Aaron Jones put up 30-plus points. 21%. This is the number that popped into my head. He's certainly capable of that. If it's PPR especially, they don't have Jamal Williams, so he is the running back. He's getting a ton of touches, and... He's one of the better fantasy running backs in the league right now. So 21% for Aaron Jones to get 30-plus points. Let me know if you got any debacle right that like that. We're going to get to uh, our interview of the day on the Bills side, and then I want to do a little bit more of that. Um, or hopefully I have a, a nice little library to choose from there. Let's go, though, to Gary Gramling of Sports Illustrated, who was on with Murph and Tasker earlier today. They had an abbreviated show because of the Sabre game, but before they got out of there, they got Gary Gramling on from Sports Illustrated. So here he is with... Murphy and Tasker earlier today. Gary Gramling on the line with us. Hello, Gary. John Murphy and Steve Tasker up here in Buffalo. Thanks for joining us. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. The NFL got by without the Buffalo Bills, huh? I guess we're surprised to hear just, that. Just barely. Just barely. <laughs> what, did you, what do you make of the Bills in their 4-1 start and the fact that they're the second-best record in the conference right now? What, what should we take from that? I mean, look, in short, it is certainly the best uh, team they've had in the Sean McDermott era here, which is uh, I I think they're so much better than they were in 2017. I think they're equipped to play from behind if they have to play from behind. But, I mean, this defense is dominant, Uh, you know, and and it's not just, you know, the, you know, Ed Oliver and and Trent Murphy. That's all well and good. Jordan Phillips. I mean, they, they got a real find in Jordan Phillips here in, in the middle of that line. Uh, they're, they're dominant. You see what Tremaine Edmonds is becoming. And, uh, there's no reason they shouldn't uh, be talking playoffs at this point. Yeah, week five, six into the, into the season. What surprises you about this Bills team? We knew they would have a solid defense. Uh, we knew that they would be improved offensively with all the free agent moves on there with the skill positions and the offensive line. But is there any surprises uh, thus far? 
not necessarily. I thought the offensive line might take a year to really come together. And, and, and I'm not saying it's a, it's a dominant unit at this point, but it's a more than good enough unit. And really, you know, you, you look around the league right now, whether it's the Chargers last night or, or what's going on in Cleveland, if you have good enough up front, uh, you can have a functional offense, which is which is what they have right now. You hope Josh Allen makes some strides in the more traditional parts of quarterbacking. But uh, you just look around the AFC and it's like, even if they slip, who's going to take this from them? Um, the Bills, you know, people want to poke holes sometimes, and it'd be easy to poke holes at the Buffalo offense and their lack of production, right? Squeaking by, uh, taking advantage of that great defense. Can you get to the playoffs and maybe um, advance in the playoffs, averaging 15, 16 points per game like the Bills do? There's there's really no reason that uh, that they can't. Uh, you know, I, I think it's an offense that I know they didn't come through uh, against New England. Patriots have shut down everyone this year. They came from behind against the Jets. It's a game they trailed by two possessions in the second half. Uh, I think they're capable of putting up points if they have to put up points. Are, are they going to do a Patrick Mahomes type uh, Chiefs thing? No, they're not, they're probably not going to put up 40 points most weeks. But uh, if this team needs to put up 27, 30 points in a week, I think they're capable of doing it. I'd like to see it. Yeah, yeah that would be, be a welcome change, no yeah. question. Uh, what about their running game? They've got a, the oldest guy in the league, and then they've got one of the youngest, in, in you know, a rookie uh, in uh, Devin Singletary. But Frank Gore, in Singletary's absence this last few weeks, I think has been really astonishing what he's been able to do. Oh, I mean, the last five years, everyone, everyone's been writing that guy off for, for quite a while at this point. Uh, I love Devin Singletary. I, I do think he's a uh, special, might be overstating it, but I, I think he is a quality lead back uh, as soon as the second half of the season. So should Frank Gore show his age at some point, they have a guy to fall back on. But, uh, I mean, Frank Gore, he's going to, at this point, I guess he's just going to play forever. Yeah, he might. Is he a Hall of Famer to you? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a softie though. Uh, I, I I guess I'd listen to someone arguing otherwise. That uh, uh, is he is he accumulating numbers a little more than anything else? Uh, you can make the argument. I think he's in though, especially in this day and age where everyone's writing off quarterbacks at age or, or excuse me, running backs at age thirty. Uh, I think just the longevity is is something to be you know is sort of admired and and held up as something that's special in this era. Hey Gary, do you think the Bills have enough offensive weaponry? I'm talking about receivers here and tight ends to to be serious contenders. Uh, you know, it has not demonstrated that to be the case through five games anyway. But maybe there's more to come. Maybe Duke Williams is the guy. No, I mean it, it's not perfect. You, you got a big play threat in John Brown. You, you got Cole Beasley doing the underneath stuff. Uh, yeah, I, they need to get better. That's something to address in the off season, you would hope. But uh, I, again, I think it's enough. And and I, I think Josh Allen for all of his uh, sort of roller coaster ride performances here. I think if you need points in the second half of a game, Josh Allen's a guy you can you can expect him from. He might melt down, but but at least it's the possibility of putting up. I'm not sure you quite had that with Tyrod Taylor a couple of years ago. That's right. Yeah, what do you think about his weapons outside with Josh Allen with wide receivers? Cole, John uh, John Brown, Cole Beasley, are they too specific? You know, do they have too too specific of a skill sets to be uh, rangy enough to force defenses to respect him all over the field? No, I mean Brown is the right skill set for uh, for Josh Allen. I mean you want to get the downfield passing game going. Uh, John Brown's a, a guy that fits nicely. We'll see what happens with Cole Beasley going forward. I, I love Cole Beasley. I love his ability to uncover underneath. That's something that Josh Allen go back going back to Wyoming. He never really had a guy like that. Uh, we'll see. You know, chemistry gets better as the year goes on. Uh, it's just sometimes it's nice to have a guy who gets open underneath sort of that security blanket guy that they've just lacked. 
it's again, it, it's no, it's not an ideal group. You wish it was a little bit better, but uh, uh, like I said, I think this offense is good enough, uh, especially with what you have defensively and with what you have going on in the AFC right now. Gary, we knew the defense was good enough and, and maybe got better. And you mentioned, you touched on it a minute ago. Uh, the Bills going to the Tennessee game looking for more pass rush, more sacks, and they get three from a guy who comes off the bench to do it. Um, it. It was kind of an amazing development in the Tennessee game a couple of Sundays ago to get that from Jordan Phillips. Yeah, I mean, they got a real find in him. And, and he's a guy who flashed in Miami. And, and, and when the Dolphins cut ties with him, he kind of said, well, I, I guess it's just never going to come together. I mean, if the Dolphins are giving up on him, uh, what, what do you really have here? But, uh, uh, I mean, he's been, he's been outstanding. And, and you figure Ed Oliver is going to get better as the year goes on. Uh, they've got something up front. Uh, they have something very similar to what you had in the old uh, Kwan Short Star Lele days uh, in Carolina when, when they were really dominating with that front four. Uh, I think you're kind of on the verge of that with uh, with this Buffalo front right now. Well, it, it, in this this early stage of the season, first third of the season or thereabouts, um, the Bills have proven themselves to be a tough team to beat. And before we go massively big picture, let's start with the AFC East. They're in there still with the Patriots, who are undefeated. But then the Jets and the Dolphins. Jets looked a little bit better uh, yesterday. The Dolphins still struggling to win. What about this division uh, and how it has benefited the Patriots for so long? And now it seems maybe it'll benefit the Bills to some extent as well. Yeah, I I was going to say, I mean, look. I really thought the Jets were a playoff contender coming into the year. And, and quite frankly, I thought they they might have been had Sam Darnold not gone down and, and they just didn't have the depth at quarterback, as, as most teams don't. Uh, they'll be better going forward. Bills have already gone there and won. Uh, so they'll get them in their building one more time. Uh, unless I'm forgetting something, they still have Miami on the schedule twice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the wins are there. They, sh- they should rack them up. You know, they're probably going to lose at Foxborough. That's fine. Uh, but they uh, – <laughs> There are more than enough wins left on this schedule for this team. On the line with Gary Grambling, Sports Illustrated uh, senior editor, talking about the NFL. Let's talk about yesterday, week six, I guess, the entire week six. And the Dolphins' close call against Washington. You had a funny uh, post today about breaking down uh, week six, and you said Brian Flores did a favor to the general public by going for two, sparing us (laughs) any more of that game, huh? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I really, really, really uh, take offenses putting it too strongly because uh, uh, I'm just a guy who lives up here in, uh, in Connecticut, and it doesn't really matter what the Miami Dolphins do with their business. But uh, <laughs> uh, I really dislike what they're doing with that team. I, I, I hate this whole approach. Uh, I don't think it's really something, uh, maybe it works long term, but I don't think it's necessary in the NFL. The, the way that the parity is built in, and the way that there's really just not that much of a uh, – there's not that much different talent-wise from team to team. Uh, it bothers me a lot. I will pick on the Dolphins all year and probably all next year too. Do you see – where do you see the bottom? Oh, my goodness. I mean, this kind of has to be it. I, I hope this is it. Uh, it's, it's just uh, – it's such a bad product. And, and I hate to worry about, you know, uh, what, what are the uh, – are they going to sell enough tickets? Are, are people going to tune into the games? That doesn't really uh, affect our lives, but uh, uh, it is it is horrible to watch. It's a waste of a game every week, uh, and I guess this one was relatively good just because the you know the Redskins have issues of their own, and and when the Bengals come to town in December, maybe we'll pay attention to that one. But uh, this is not an NFL team, and and they're running them out there, and and they're just building this roster in the most cynical way imaginable. Well, they are kind of living down to the expectations, though, at the beginning of the year, and when one team that had maybe the biggest expectations of the whole league is Cleveland Browns. They mm-hmm. came up short again yesterday against the Seahawks. 
How is that going to play out? Oh, it's 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 flawed. And look, they can't do anything about the offensive line right now. Uh, I wish they'd put in some more quick strike stuff. If, if you know, Freddie Kitchens has his system, and, and that's what they're playing. And uh, it's you're seeing Baker Mayfield regress. Uh, yesterday was probably not rock bottom for him. I think we've seen him play play worse this year, but. Uh, his accuracy's off, and, and just the habit. He has this horrible habit now of, of just drifting straight back into the right because he, he's even if there's not pressure, he's feeling pressure. Uh, this is this is sort of a danger zone for uh, for Baker Mayfield's career at this point. He's got some stuff that he's got to correct, and I don't know if it happens this year because uh, that line is just not getting any better. Hey, uh, can I take you back to the Dolphins just for one second, Gary? Because I yep. saw some quotes today from a guy who you would think would be considered at least a partial building block for the future. Bobby McCain, defensive back, fifth-round pick a couple of years ago, just talking about how livid he was about another loss and how they're playing and what's going on. And I think that might be the danger that you get into when you approach it, let's face it, tanking like the Dolphins do. Mm-hmm. You lose your young guys that you'd like to keep around and build on. It's, it's kind of a corrosive negative influence on, on the entire team, guys that are here this year and guys that may be in your plans down the road a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, look, the players play, the coaches coach. They are not tanking. The front office is is, is who's tanking here. Uh, our Jenny Brentis had, had done a great piece. She sort of talked to some folks around the league who kind of said, uh, the guys who have to suffer through this, and there's more injury risk when you're out there with, with guys who are not NFL-caliber players. Uh, they, you know, it, it creates all sorts of bad habits with, with your young guys. Yeah. Uh, these guys won't be around in all likelihood to, to enjoy the sort of the, the other end of this, which obviously the Dolphins are hoping is, is a you know, championship-caliber roster. I'm very skeptical of that. But if they get there, the, the guys there in 2019, the guys here right now, most of them won't be here. Brian Flores said after the game yesterday he, he will go back to Josh Rosen when they come here to play Buffalo on Sunday. Is that the right move to make? What do you think? Uh, uh, I, I don't know what Josh Rosen thinks about that. I, I think he's had a, about enough of NFL football between uh, Arizona and now Miami. But uh, I I don't know. I mean, I, I know they want to put Rosen out there, and, and it's sort of that see what you got. And also, you know, I, I think in their case, maybe they're trying to build up some trade value for him because they're going to try and accrue more picks. Uh, Fitzpatrick is the better option right now and not a much better option. But again, if they haven't lost the locker room yet, I don't know if this is going to cost them the locker room. Well, before he was benched, Rosen had 15 completions in the game for only 85 yards. So, um, it was a rough outing on, on all, on, you know, on all phases of that game. It was brutal. It was the NFL's, uh, answer to Rutgers in that one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, um, you you met you touched on the Jets too, and I don't want to just focus on these these also runs in the AFC East. But did they regain enough of their footing to maybe make a late charge here? Now that they've got their quarterback back, do you think they'll they'll come alive? That defense is still pretty solid for the Jets. It is, and, and look, I think ultimately they're just in too deep a hole. Uh, you know, the opportunity is there, I guess, because as we said, the AFC is just down throughout. Uh, I think it's a little too late for them to get going. I think that. Look, I, I think Adam Gase is a good coach. I think the Gase-Darnold marriage will work and will be successful. And I, I think, you know, you mentioned the uh, uh, the defense, Murph. They're still without C.J. Mosley at this point. I mean, he was supposed to be sort of the nerve center of this yep. defense. He'll be back maybe next week, and, and we'll sort of see what this Jets team was supposed to be. But I think you did get a taste of it, at least the offensive side of the ball, on, uh, on Sunday. Yep. Why has the defense struggled with – uh, with for the Jets, uh, is it strictly C.J. Mosley? Hey, I, I think it's a lot of C.J. Mosley. Look, Avery Avery Williamson is is out for the season too. Uh, 
I just I, I look back at that Cleveland game, uh, the Monday night game that they lost, and and the number of just miscommunications on the back end, or just flat out. I mean, there are blown coverages, and then there are coverages that have clearly been blown before the snap, where they, you know, Odell Beckham had that long touchdown run, just no one covered him. Uh, that's that's probably not by design. You probably do want to cover Odell Beckham with at least one player. Uh, that's, uh, that I think that just comes down to communication issues. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they got worn out as well. I mean, Luke Falk was, was out there for uh, 20 minutes with that offense every game. And that, that takes a bit of a toll on your defense as well. Hey Gary, before I let you go, I want to get uh, your thoughts on what was my number one takeaway on the bye weekend. And that's how, how far down the hole the NFL has gone with its officiating, both in terms of replay yeah. challenges on pass interference and just overall general, um, effectiveness of officiating they're really in a bad spot right now and I think it's it's I'm not saying I didn't see any ratings for yesterday but it's got to affect the people's enjoyment of the game when all you watch are flags being thrown it's tough to watch and I got a four-year-old who watches the game with the games with me and and all he yells out is when he sees the the yellow uh flag <laughs> little, little Chiron come up he just yells dad flag flag I was like <laughs> like yeah I know you can you can stop saying it you can tell me when there's not a flag that'd be nice uh but it's uh I don't know I look it's not coming up soon, so I hate to even suggest it, but I wish they would just sort of uh, take the coach's challenge out of it. The coaches should not have a role in officiating the game. They have enough going on uh, running their teams. I wish they would sort of go to a, a, sort of an automatic review system, uh, a sky ref, whatever you want to call it, and just utilize that, whether it's one one official or, or a three uh, three official panel and and just uh just sort of embrace the technology that we all we all get to use at home watching on tv right do we need replay you sure we need it i'm beginning to think can we you don't. go back to the stone ages and without <laughs> replay i know i know the only reason i say you need replay is because we get replay as viewers and and we're all going to lose our minds when we watch these plays i think you need you just need replay for the you know the saints rams type thing the blatant blown calls that you can immediately recognize and fix uh and look football is a sport there is a 15 to 20 15 to 40 second delay between every play i i think replay fits in with this one more than basketball but uh uh, they got to figure out the way to do it. I, I was, it's been my assertion that the, the replay review process is only as good as the people at the top of it. Do, do you think they're getting mixed signals from New York? It's, it's been weird. And this pass interference replay, it's, it's going away. It's just not working this year. Uh, it, it's been incredibly inconsistent. Uh, I don't know. New York was supposed to be sort of the, uh, what was going to give it consistency. And, and uh, especially with that rule, you just haven't seen it. I don't know. The, the pass interference stuff, I, I don't think there's a good way to do it. I don't either. Gary, thanks for this. We'll talk again. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Gary. Am I the only one, by the way, that doesn't need replay changed? I guess I am. There he is. Corey Gramlich from uh, Sports Illustrated with Tasker and Murph earlier today. I, I don't need it. You know, Gramling there is talking about, you know, the stone going back to the Stone Ages and Hey, man, how long – think about it this way. This is how I think about it. I'd rather spend an extra – what? How long is – I mean, nowadays it seems like it's forever. An extra five to ten minutes of real time per every game making sure calls are right rather than spending hours on end the days after talking about missed calls. I'd rather take the extra 5-10 minutes. Now, it doesn't always add up to that, but I'm here to get it right. They don't want to invest in officiating. They don't want to make these guys full-time officials. 
They don't want to... They're always the experienced guys. They don't want to go for the younger refs that I think would have to do a better job at keeping up with the game. No, they just want to do what they normally do. Just the same guys over and over and over. And it never gets any better. So if you don't want to invest in that way, well, then you have to invest in replay. Because otherwise, you're going to be getting stuff wrong. And it's a billion-dollar industry. So you should be getting stuff right. I wouldn't do replay. I would just do full-time officials. Full-time officials, younger officials, guys that can keep up with the game better. That's what I would do. It's never really been tried. Has it? Not to my knowledge. Speaking of officiating, the NHL already this season. Holy cow. That slash, it's only one play, but that slash that they call on Yoki Haru today. Like, what are you looking at? The NHL is such a, it's another animal though. The NHL does not call penalties. They they just try to make sure it's an even number at the end, which is not it doesn't make any sense. I don't want to, I don't want to rag on officiating too long here. A lot of good stuff in there though about the AFC and the Bills competition right now and uh, what they're facing going forward. Got a couple of fantasy questions that I'll go through after the break. Monday Night Football's underway. If you have Kenny Galladay, great start. He had a big catch on the first play of the game. It was like 60, 70 yards. He almost took it to the house, but he just came up a little bit short. The Lions had to settle for a field goal. Carry on Johnson owners like myself might have been screaming obscenities at Matt Stafford, who in the red zone, first and goal, is about to hand the ball off to carry on Johnson, and Stafford slips and falls, and suddenly it's two passing downs. They actually threw to Johnson on the next play. Stafford missed that throw. So if you're a carry on Johnson owner, Probably frustrated because he almost just got in the end zone, but he's still sitting at zero. Um, so I'll go through a couple fantasy questions, and we'll continue our conversation on the Bills and who is their biggest threat. If you had to pick one, who is it? Is it Cleveland? Is it the Chargers? Is it the Jaguars with Minshew? Maybe it's the Titans. Now they have Tannehill. I don't know what you're thinking. Let me know. 803-0550 is the phone number. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Listen, as a carry-on Johnson fantasy owner that needs 10.5 points right now, he's on the one. He gets stopped at the one. It's second and goal. Oh, no, he's coming off the field. Not good. Why are you coming off the field? Terrible. Terrible. I hope they don't score. The Lions are up three to nothing, and they're on the one yard line. I think they're good. They're at Lambeau, and they're two one and one. I got a fantasy question on the text line. Ooh, they got stopped at the one. Perfect. Third and goal at the one. You bring Carryon Johnson back on the field, right up the gut. Six points. Boom, just like that. John asks PPR. I'm up ten points. I have Galladay. He has Johnson. Well, Galladay already's got like eight points. Johnson's got like nothing. So, I'd say I like your odds for Johnson to beat Galladay the rest of the way, but it's going to be close. He's actually in right now. It's third and goal at the one, and I might yell if he scores here. They're, you know, three tight ends. Typically, that's a running situation. How long do I have to wait before I can say what happens? There's a a rule against that, I think. It's been about 20 seconds. He got stopped at the one. He dove for the pylon. How often do you see a guy go over the pile and not score? Oh, that ball almost hits the 
it's like a centimeter away from six fantasy points. This is why fantasy football is torture. Torture. That close. Oh. Jim asks, I have Hawkinson. He has Valdez Scantling. I'm up six. That one I would give you like 50-50 odds. They ran it again, and I think he's in. No, I don't know. He's not in. One ref says touchdown. I I can't I can't do a show here. Like I'm in the I'm in the middle of peak fantasy football season. Desperation time. Desperate times. Needing a win. Needing ten points. They're gonna review it. Tremendous. Great. Now I don't want review. Did you hear my segment last? Right before the break? Anyways. Yeah, he's in. Six points. So, John, good job. You were up ten, then you were up two, now you're up eight. Good odds. I like it. 8030550 is the phone number. If you have any fantasy questions on the matchup tonight, let me know. I'm uh pretty far into fantasy, deep into fantasy right now. I think one team that's interesting I did want to talk about that I already talked about in relation to the Bills and the AFC playoff race is the Chargers. What's interesting about the Chargers is they're not playing well right now, and a lot of it is their offense. Like their offense is just not it's not moving the football. They can't get Keenan Allen involved after the first couple games. He was amazing, and since then they can't. Look at this this game right here. I mean, one ref is this is ref officiating at its best. One ref is signaling touchdown. The other is saying he's down at the one. So what's the call in the field? They're about to review it. If they say it stands, well, what happens? Uh, never mind. Sorry. The Chargers are trying to reincorporate Melvin Gordon into their offense, and I just don't think he's as good a running back as Austin Eckler. This is, to me, a separate point, but. One about running backs and how replaceable they are. Melvin Gordon was a first-round pick who got tons and tons of touches in the first couple years of his career. Austin Eckler shows up as an undrafted guy out of, where did Eckler go to school? I think he went to like a really small school. Not like as smart as you know, like a Fred Jackson, but he went to Western, Western Colorado. Never heard of it. So... He plays college football at Western Colorado. He's undrafted. He goes to the NFL. He's signed by the Chargers. I'm assuming to be like a special teams and like a gadget guy. Throughout his career, he has been easily more efficient than Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon averages under four yards a carry for his career. Or at least he did. Maybe I should double check to make sure he still does. Because that's, uh, I don't want to be wrong on that. Four yards, by the way, is like pretty average in the league. He's right on the money. Four four yards per carry. Austin Eckler, and you don't go just by this, but Austin Eckler averages a full yard more per carry than Melvin Gordon for his career, and he provides way more in terms of a pass catcher. That is something that is so underrated in running backs today that I think you have to have it. If you want to be a feature running back in the league, if you want to be a team's number one running back, I don't want the Bills to have a number one running back that can't catch the football. Like a Derrick Henry type? No, thank you. This is not the 80s. I'm not trying to run I formation up the middle all the time. Eckler is like a modern day running back. Like he is what the future of the position is. The Patriots have already been on this. They had Danny Woodhead 10 years ago. Well, now they got James White. Guy's catching 80 balls a year. He's great. And they got him like in the fourth round. That's why I like the Singletary pick a lot for the Bills. But anyways, the overall point on the Chargers... Their offense is just not moving the football. Rivers might be shot. He really might. He's having so much trouble pushing the ball down the field. It's a lot of dink and dunk. 
Like he's trying to push the ball down the field. It's just it doesn't it it doesn't look like it used to coming out of his arm. He always had that weird throwing motion, but there's the same zip is not on the football when I watch Philip Rivers. And I think some teams might be starting to recognize that. And they're taking away Keenan Allen underneath. And they're make they're daring him to push the ball deep. And maybe that's a big reason why they're not that good right now. The offense just can't move the ball. And they've got so much talent, you should be able to find a way to, to do that. They've got great receivers. Allen's great. Mike Williams is great. Travis Benjamin's good. Hunter Henry's a really good tight end. Eckler is a, one of the better, better receiving running backs out of the backfield in the league. But they just can't get the ball in their playmaker's hands. So, for one reason, I would say they're not going to catch the Bills. I, I, I just can't see that right now. The way they're playing and the, how far back they are, I would not predict that happens. For fantasy purposes, though, I don't think that their offense will struggle this much the rest of the way. I'd buy low on a bunch of their players. If you can go get Keenan Allen, or even Melvin Gordon, or Eckler, or Rivers, I think you're. I think that's going to be a really good type of buy low trade that could really pay off for you down the stretch. If you're like a, if you in fantasy right now are like three and two, four and one, or I guess there's five weeks now, so maybe you're five and one. I would say take a little bit of risk. Go get a star player like Keenan Allen, who has really struggled the last three weeks. And I would say bank on that getting better. It might not be as good as it used to be, where he was like a receiver one, but that potential is still there. And even though they've struggled, I don't think they'll struggle this much the rest of the year. There's just too much talent. Even if Rivers is arm shot, there's just too much talent there. I think it'll come around. And that's why... They and the Browns are the two teams where I'm still leaving the door open that they could catch the Bills. But it's just not that likely at all. 538 has the Bills at 78% to make the playoffs. I'd be stunned if that doesn't happen. 803-0550 is the phone number. Last call in the nightcap after this on WGR. Welcome back to the nightcap. Last call on the nightcap. And let's spend some of it here with Levi Wallace, who has been a revelation for the Bills since last season. We'd probably be around here talking about Jalen Ramsey's trade idea if Levi Wallace wasn't here, but he's played tremendous. And he was on with One Bills Live earlier today. So before we get out of here, let's play a little Levi Wallace. Here he is with Murph and Tasker. Joined by Bills cornerback Levi Wallace just off the field after practice today. Levi, welcome. Thanks for coming in. No, thank you guys for having me. Appreciate um, it. Tell me about today. It looked like kind of a T-shirts and shorts type of uh, walkthrough practice. At least it's good to get back to work a little bit, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, just getting the blood flowing a little bit, getting back on track, um, making sure everyone's on the same page, ready to hit this, was it, 10, 11 game 11 stretch? Half, right at halfway point. Yeah. 11 yeah. weeks from the start of camp, 11 weeks left. Crazy, right? Oh, probably a few more weeks than, than 11, it looks like. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, good. I mean, time is flying. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, just get everyone back on track. Um you know, just go over some things that we probably missed a couple first couple of weeks, um, and start looking at the Dolphins. Yeah, starting to get to that point where, like you do every season, where it's like a a random drawing where, okay, this week Matt Milano's going to get hurt, he's going to sit out for a while. Now you're getting back Devin Singletary, but you start to rotate. You know, you almost rotate guys through and test the depth. You know, he lost four guys during the game last week. Does that buy? I mean, as a healthy player, what's that like, and how does the team react when? Guys are in and out of the lineup with injuries. Um, I think the coaching staff does a great job of just 
having guys ready, you know, making sure everyone's prepared because, like you said, anything can happen um, at, at every single position. I mean, even with the starting quarterback a couple weeks right. ago, you know, so um, just having guys prepared and, you know, ready to go and ready to play. Um, it doesn't re really make too much difference. You know, the communication is all the same on the defense side. Right. Levi, so far this year for the Bills, five games you've started five. You came in around, I think, mid-November, November 10th or 11th last year and started the final seven games. Are you at the point now where you can settle in and say, yeah, I'm a starter, I'm an NFL starter for this, this Buffalo Bills team? Are you, you feel settled anyway? Uh, settled, but not, not really not you know, satisfied. Yeah. You, know? Um, you know, I just like I said, I just want to keep going out there and competing. Um, you know, like, like my job is on the line, you know, each and every week. That's how I want to play, so. Um, you know, I, I'm happy that the coaches, you know, find comfort in me, putting me out there, and I'm able to go out there and make plays as best as I can. The um, your background, I'm sure, plays into that, right? You walk you had to walk on at Alabama to get on that team and mm -hmm. win national championships and play there, and then come here as an undrafted free agent. You must it, it's almost in your makeup, I would think. You got to keep pushing to to settle in, to feel settled here, huh? Yeah, I think I think that's what makes me me. You know, the mm -hmm. the, the player that I am. You know, just always. Fighting, you know, even with something simple as a receiver catching the ball, I'm always trying to fight it out. You know, that's just my mentality. I'm just a fighter, so I'm going to go out there and compete every single day. Much different feel on this team. You came in mid-November, like, like Murph said. You've been here, like, almost a full calendar year now. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a much different group of guys in this locker room. You seem <clears> to have <throat> raised it to a new level defensively. Your offense has got a little more under the hood now. Mm -hmm. What's the vibe like? And I know it's, it was when I played, it was like that. When you felt like you were getting better, how, you know, and sometimes you are, but you, how do you prove that to yourselves? I mean, what's the next step for you guys to say, okay, we are a good football team. We're, we, sh you know, all, how does the vibe change as your team improves? Um, I think specifically on defense, you know, we, we just have to stay, you know, hungry as, we, as we've been, you know, um, and not let games, you know, come down. You know, just to us, you know, try to make try to make more takeaways, give the offense more opportunities, you know, limit even less, you know, that we've been doing. Um, you know, I think we know in our hearts that we're a pretty good defense, um, but I don't think we're satisfied with that at all. You know, I think we want to be number one in every category, you know, even being specific with Dennis, you know, just the, the job that he does with giving us numbers. Um, you know, just how we can move forward from that aspect. Right. I want to ask you, you mentioned when you sat down here a minute ago how the last time you were with us was training camp mm -hmm. back, it seems like a long time ago now. Yeah. And at that time, you were considered to be in like a, a three-way battle for, for a starting spot, right? Mm -hmm. But very early on in camp, you established that you were the starter and you haven't let, let go of that. How, how much has your approach changed since then, since camp? Uh, like I said, it's the same. You know, yeah. I, I fight for every play, you know, that I get because it's not promised, you know. Um, you know, with injuries and, and, you know, we have other corners behind me that, that do a great job as well. So, you know, I, I have that mindset to go out there and compete, you know. And with them as well, they make me better as well, especially Kevin. Are you um, in the – do you notice, do teams kind of stay away from Tredavious on the other side and, and come your way? Is that a, a pattern that you saw through the first five games? Um, yes and no. Um, I mean, they have to throw the ball eventually at one of us. Right. Um, you know, if I'm playing really well – you know, then they'll start throwing at him. He's playing really well. They'll start throwing at me. Um, and we, we both make plays. And then you have the two safeties, two of the best safeties in the league, you know, that are just tracking the ball down as much as they can. So I, I think you, you have to really pick your poison and see where you really want to throw the ball. You know, I just try to lock my side down and make him try to throw at Tredavious and knowing that he's going to make plays on his side. So.
When do you start looking, open up the book on the Dolphins? Do you do it today or do you wait to make it a normal week and wait till Wednesday? Coaches will start game. They probably have already started game planning on these guys, but do you start getting an early look at them already? Yeah, yeah, with film, you know, just by yourself. You know, I think tomorrow's an off day um, as usual. We're going to treat it like a regular schedule. Um, tomorrow's off day, just start filming by myself and then come in Wednesday prepared, you know, knowing what they do on first and second down and, and going from there. What do those safeties do for you on the back end, those two hiding? I mean, they run they run the show back there. You know, whatever they say goes. Um, and I trust them. You know, they have the most experience out of out of all of us. Well, I think six years each, seven yeah, years. Seven years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just asking them whatever they say goes and, and, and trusting that they'll be in the position that they say they will be. Um, you know, just running the show. You know, whatever they see, cut this, cut that, you know, alert this. And 90, 95% of the time, they're usually right. So, You're going into – I know you don't really keep track of this, but the Dolphins are struggling to win games down there. They lost one on a two-point conversion, <clears throat> I guess, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't – how much do you let that leak into your thought process? Not at all, I would think, right? Uh, I mean, this is the NFL, you know. And I remember my mom used to say it to me back in the day. She wasn't talking about the NFL specifically. She was talking about high school, but she was saying – any given Sunday, you know, you can lose. Um, she was talking about my high school team we played on right. Fridays. But, right. you know, she was Moms just saying. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just being prepared, you know, never. You know, the Dolphins are still a great team. This is still the NFL. You know, they can come out here and, and yeah. put up 40 points. You know, they have great receivers, quarterback that's growing, you know, um, and they have good guys on defense as well, so. Levi, um, and the, this has been not just this year, but this past defense has been <clears> excellent for – Almost two years now, number three in the NFL in average yards. I think you guys give up – I know you give up less than 200. I think it's like 187 yards passing per game. Mm-hmm. Um, what's left to be done in this pass offense? What can you do better, do you think? Taking the ball away. Yeah. Um, and I made a comment earlier. I said, dang, everyone has an interception except me. So uh-huh. <laughs> it's got to start with me, you know. And then, um, you know, just all of us, you know, just having even more communication. Um, you know, we watched some film on some things we missed. Um, that could have given us even more opportunities to make plays on the ball. So I think just developing that communication, you know, will go a long way. Three straight home games. Mm-hmm. You guys given that any thought, talked about it at all? No, but I thought personally I'm excited for that. You know, I think we have the best fans in the NFL, you know, and my house is 10 minutes down the road, so I don't really like traveling too much on the planes. Right. So I'm excited for that to play at home. Yeah. What would you do on the bye week? What would you get done last week? Yeah. Uh, Got my – Went to the dentist, went to Charlotte for a second, saw my mom, um, got a crown put on my tooth, and then went down to Miami and relaxed down there with my fiance. It was raining Ooh. terribly, but in uh, Miami, in Miami, every single Why day. About it? Yeah, I was, I was upset a little bit. I went down there for the sun, and it was raining. <laughs> that so. doesn't bother me so much. I don't yeah. know why that is. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was upset. <laughs> yeah, I know that, but it was good. It was a good time to get off my feet and relax. And you mentioned you feel good coming back too, getting back to work, huh? Oh, for sure. I mean, there's no place like Buffalo. You know, I'm always excited to leave, and then. Three days in, I'm like, yo, I want to get back, you know, and it's just great to be back. I'm glad that it wasn't as cold when I flew in yesterday. So it's it was always nice fun. yesterday. It was yeah. nice. People come in at, and and normal like Murph and I, you get a couple of weeks off a year, or you get your vacation time mm-hmm. a year. But when you get a bye week in the NFL, you took like from you know four, five, six days off. It feels like a long time right. because of the grind and the routine of everyday life in the NFL. It felt like a long time this bye week, did it not? Oh, for sure. And then, you know, when, when you just set on a structure and a schedule, you know, for so long, we're 11-plus weeks already since camp, you're like, well, what do I do with myself? Right. I have all this time. I'm relaxed, but I kind of want to get back. I want yeah, to get back to the team. To do, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like I said, it, it was good. 
good time to get away from football, but you know, now we're back for good, you know, so I think we're going to stay focused. Back okay. to work. Back to work. Levi, thanks for this. Thanks for coming in. We no, appreciate thank you it. Guys for having me. Good Levi Wallace. There is the Bills cornerback, Levi Wallace, with Murph and Tasker earlier today. You can catch out all of our good stuff from On Demand today at WGR550.com and the Radio.com app. The Lions are all over the Packers, 10 to nothing. They're on the one-yard line, two-yard line maybe, third and goal. They are, uh, they're all over Green Bay. I think they're a good team. I really do. I actually was in here on Saturday. I made a bet with my brother, Lou, who I co-hosted Sports Talk Saturday with, and I bet him they'd finish at least second place in the NFC North. I think they're good. Legitimately good. And the only team I didn't think they were better than in the NFC North is the Packers, who I think are the best team in the NFC. But here's Detroit. It's only about to be 13 nothing with Aaron Rodgers. It's not, you know, it's not locked at all, but... They're playing really well, and um, Matt Stafford, I don't think he gets nearly enough respect in this league. I think he's been a top-10 quarterback for years, years and years, almost his entire career. And it'll annoy me to no end that a guy like Eli Manning will make the Hall of Fame and Matt Stafford won't, and pretty much you stack their careers against each other. Eli's going to go because of the two Super Bowls, but... Stafford has been a better quarterback. Is that crazy? Is that a hot take? I don't think it should be. I think it's just clear. Matt Stafford, for his entire career, has been a better quarterback than Eli Manning ever was. So, that's just my thought. All right, thanks everybody for listening tonight. You can catch the whole show on demand at WGR550.com. And uh, I'll talk to you next tomorrow night. I'll, with the Sabres West Coast trip, you'll be hearing a lot of me this week uh, taking you up till Sabres pregame when they play like Wednesday at Anaheim at 10 o'clock. Pregame will start at 9. So I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, have a good night, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. It's Jody Biasi with the Nightcap here on WGR. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.